0: Hey, I'm Alan Hunter. You're listening on the Pantheon Network. The Venture X card from Capital One gives you premium travel benefits. Perfect for seeing
1: Taylor Swift the Eras Tour, presented by Capital One. Ooh, I do love her. Earn five times miles on flights and ten times miles on hotels through Capital One Travel.
2: Enjoy your stay in Suite 13.
1: Whoa, 13? That's Taylor's lucky number. The Venture X card from Capital One. What's in your wallet?
2: Terms apply. See Capital One.com for details. If you're looking to move out of your parents' place, you could really cut expenses by bundling your car and renter's insurance with Progressive, which is good because your little brother has gotten really territorial. You're blood-related. You'd think it would be fine to share food in the fridge. I mean, who writes their name on every individually wrapped slice of cheese, Tyler? Still, you've got to admire the commitment. So bundle your renter's and car insurance with Progressive and use the savings to help you move out and have all the cheese you want. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company coverage provided and serviced by affiliates and third-party insurers.
1: You're digging the Rock and Roll Heaven podcast with LD Will the Thrill and TJ Two
0: welcome to Rock and Roll Heaven, the podcast where we talk about the lives, careers, and deaths of famous musicians. I am your host LD. Along with me for the ride, as always, is Will the Thrill,
3: and I'm LD. Oh no, wait, no, that's you. Okay, stop it. Sorry. <laughs> and TJ2 the Deuce. Very. That was a that good
4: was
0: one. That was a good one, yeah. What's mm.
4: drinking? Okay. This is another one I haven't tried, so we get another authentic reaction this week. This is from Wiseacre Brewery. It's called Tiny Bomb American Pilsner.
3: Is Wiseacre near is it in South Carolina or?
4: It looks like it is in Memphis, Tennessee, and yeah, Memphis. Memphis. Oh, interesting. So not not way, way far from here. Okay. Just what well, about a state or two over. Okay.
3: Nice, nice.
4: Mm. Ooh, boy, this would be dangerous on a hot day. Holy Lord.
3: <laughs> nice and crisp. Mm. <laughs> All
0: right, so do we have any updates this week? Because, you know, I thought about it, and I've, I've been pretty plugged in this week. And as I could gather, I don't think anyone passed away.
4: Yeah, we've, we've had v- very few to mention here recently. Uh, now, I did have one little update from last week. Now, it probably got lost in the cacophony of us saying stuff like you know rick james is in a subway saying i got your five dollar foot long bitch or whatever uh, but there was a very brief discussion of neil armstrong's underwear and moon rocks
3: yes yes there okay. was. okay Yes. so i had to
4: go back and look that up what actually happened is nasa did inadvertently sell some moon dust and rocks that neil armstrong collected from the moon they accidentally okay. sold it.
0: I just, I don't understand how you accidentally sell your moon rocks.
4: I have no idea why I thought it involved Neil Armstrong's underwear. Unless <laughs> unless the space dust was in his underwear or something. I don't
0: know. You don't know, man.
4: How do you not realize that you sold Neil Armstrong's um, special moon rocks? That seems like maybe a thing you would like mark.
0: No Neil Armstrong underwear, but it was some moon rocks. But so. NASA
4: did inadvertently sell moon dust and moon rocks at one point.
3: Got it. Got it, got it. I'm glad you looked that up. And uh, I, I think TJ too. I'm going to. Uh... Oh.
0: I thought that that was the stout that I was going to use to make the soap. I still have like three more of them. Oh, okay. So there's plenty. Of,
4: yeah.
3: All right. No, 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 What now? What are you drinking? This is the Stockyard Oatmeal Stout from Trader Joe's. Oh, okay. Yeah, San Jose, California.
4: Interested to see how that one, uh, how that one is. It's nice and smooth. Good.
0: I will say this really quick, uh, just to our audience. I'm actually starting a new show. Uh, This Monday. So by the time this episode comes out, I'll have been working on it for two whole days. I am now working on the reboot of You Bet Your Life with host Jay Leno. So if if anybody is interested in auditioning for the show, all you got to do is email me at linley at youbetyourlifecasting.com and that's L Y N L Y. You bet your live casting.com, and I'll get you all the info over there. We're going to be casting for a little bit, but uh, if you want your shot at uh, an awesome time to meet Jay and be a part of a really fun reboot, This Is Your Chance. And uh, yeah, you just have to be 21 or over and it's U.S. residents only. So sorry to our three people in the UK that listen to us. We have some (laughs) Canadian listeners too, don't we?
3: Yeah, I believe we do. And if you don't know Jay Leno, he was in Collision Course with the late Pat Morita. Okay. Okay. All right. Cool. Hey, so we are wrapping
4: up our um, series on Rick James. This has been a three, thank you. It's been a three-part, this is a three-part series. I do need to tell everybody up front. Now, we've had a lot of fun with this the last two weeks because Rick James lived one of the wildest, craziest, funniest lives imaginable. So we've had a lot of fun with that. And there's some fun stuff and some wild stories of the fun variety this week, too. However, when we get toward the latter part of this episode, it gets really, really dark. Just going to be honest with you. So it's a third act. Yeah. yeah. And so if you are offended by sexual situations, drugs, bad language, and um, depictions of fairly graphic violence. This is probably not the best episode for you to, you know, check check us out next week. I think we'll be back to happiness and sunshine and unicorns, but, um,
0: if all the happiness, sunshine and unicorns were dead,
4: right? Yeah. This, this, this episode, while there are some really funny parts too, it gets dark at the end. There there's, there's some really, really disturbing things. So if that's not your uh, mug of beer, we totally understand. And, join us next week
0: yeah i it's uh you just told me one thing at like by accident and uh it takes a lot for me to be horrified i was horrified
4: and and now i know
3: tj too you've done the research so you know more than than we do but from what i know it's gonna get ugly
4: it does vary, and and LD, the thing you heard might not be the most disturbing thing that's in this episode yeah
3: Oh,
0: cheese and crackers.
4: But uh, but we start off on a light note, and why don't we do that right now? All <laughs> right,
0: let's do this. Rick James!
4: So, bitch. So, just to catch everybody up in case uh, they've missed parts one and two, here's a master plot version of what we've heard so far. You ready? <laughs> Rick James had sex when he was nine, did heroin for the first time at 13, went AWOL from the Navy at 15, fled to Canada, was saved by uh, from a savage beating by two members of the band, hung out with Joni Mitchell, lived with Neil Young, was in a band with Young and Bruce Palmer, was signed to Motown, had the deal fall through when his AWOL status became known, broke out of a military brig, did five months in jail, crashed on Stephen Stills's couch in LA, was denied admittance to Disneyland with Jim Morrison because they were both tripping balls on acid, narrowly avoided being a casualty of the Manson family murders, had a three-way with a Swedish model and her mother finally attained musical success became a pimp inadvertently destroyed a drawing salvador dali did of him in a swimming pool helped start the career of prince hated prince threatened to whip prince's ass accused prince of stealing his stage act employed a man named pyro john defied law enforcement orders regarding smoking weed on stage had sex and did cocaine on rest- restaurant tabletops, with his band blocking the view of other customers, ran drugs from other countries while making his brother a mule, fled a party in the Hearst Mansion when NFL legend Jim Brown came looking for him, recorded his biggest selling album, partied at Studio 54, and free cocaine for the first time. Does that catch us up pretty good?
3: I think, I think we're all uh, I think we're there. Oh uh, my I, God. I, I just like to point out one thing, that the Dolly drawing was not done in the pool, it was destroyed in the it pool. It was destroyed yes. in the pool. It was
4: drawn at a dinner table at a party. Party.
3: Yeah, because Dali was just looking at the guy, right?
4: Da, uh, Salvador Dali was staring at him and said, the senor, I am mad about your appearance. Allow yeah. me to sketch you.
3: And that, that is the last two weeks, folks. Good night, everyone. That's, a, that's, yeah. that's to it,
4: right. Good night, everyone.
3: <laughs> so. They lived happily ever after. Oh,
0: no, we've yeah.
4: still got part three. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was like he'd lived not just a thousand lives, but a thousand full and full-on crazy lives. He possessed a gigantic personality. He had always eschewed society's laws and standards and was an outsized character. But he was about to morph into an outsized caricature. An overdrugged, hypersexual, sometimes brutal, and violent caricature. The line between Rick James and the self-destructive inner demon of sorts he called the Me Monster started to blur and eventually disappeared entirely. Now, we mentioned in our last episode that James had been the featured musical artist on Saturday Night Live and had met a young comedian there named Eddie Murphy. We also noted he got VIP treatment at the infamous Studio 54, and those two things intersected quite famously. (laughs) James had not only become friends with Eddie Murphy, he had also befriended Murphy's brother, Charlie. (laughs) He called him darkness, and he also called Eddie darkness. He called them the brother's darkness. He called them that, obviously, because they were more dark complected than he was. Murphy said James would randomly lick women's faces in clubs or make pronouncements like, quote, come on, bitches, show me your titties or something. I'm Rick James.
3: (laughs) Is that a direct quote? (laughs)
4: and uh yes that is a direct quote and upon uh young ladies pulling their shirts up and showing to them rick james as would be immortalized in a comedy sketch many years later would say i wish i had more hands so i could give those titties four thumbs down what? real thing that he real thing that he actually said corroborated by multiple people
3: now was this part That's of a... who i can only call the gospel of rick james uh levi ruffin
4: um levi does feature into this episode yes okay. but uh, I don't know if he was around for that particular instance, but uh, that, that's, that's a real thing that actually happened, apparently. Now, per the retelling of Murphy, and per a very famous comedy sketch many years later, which others corroborated and which we will get to eventually, he was in Studio 54 on one occasion, uh, Murphy was, when he heard a boy shout, Charlie Murphy! He says that James then sucker punched him and did so <laughs> while wearing a big gold ring that was formed out to spell unity on its face. So unity was then imprinted backwards in Charlie Murphy's forehead. God. James then laughed, sang a brief rendition of cold blooded, and walked off. <laughs> Again, Mad um. Lib. <laughs> uh, yes. James said later that Murphy was quote, running with the big dogs at that point, and that sometimes he had to quote, go upside his head. <laughs> Now, Murphy said James stepped over the line in that instance and was a, quote, habitual line stepper. His first impulse was to whip James's ass then and there, but he knew that wasn't the proper venue for a beatdown. Later at a hotel, though, he says that he kicked James in the chest and sent him flying into a dresser. When James screamed for security guards, Murphy allegedly said, quote, y'all take one more step. I'll kick this inwards ass out the mother effing window.
0: And then started the greatest love story ever told. Pretty
4: much. <laughs> he said James apologized, said he'd just been having too much fun, then offered to share some premium weed with Murphy and gave the following directive to a young lady that was standing in the room. Bitch, come have sex with Charlie Murphy. I'm Rick James. It just flows off just, the tongue. I,
0: just <laughs> can. I can't. Now, do you... Uh, you know what? Just never mind. Just keep going. Just, I can't. <laughs>
4: There's a, it's, you want to say everything, but you can't say anything there's another thing i I understand
0: i know the feeling it just bottles up in your throat and nothing comes out or just the dumbest thing comes out so i'm just not gonna say anything so just just you know what no breaks
3: what i find unsettling about this whole ordeal is the fact that you tj had to had to squish this into one episode's worth of content i wonder what what's on the cutting room floor right now
4: oh gosh it's quite voluminous i promise (laughs) Now, in another incident that would become famous later on, James, in full white cowboy stage attire, was yes. behind a bar pouring drinks, <laughs> I believe I believe, it's Studio 54. <laughs> he called Murphy over and asked him if he'd heard the new joke going around. Charlie Murphy, what do the five fingers say to the face? Slap! And he slapped the absolute crap out of Charlie Murphy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. This is amazing. He then...
4: He then pronounced to the rest of the
3: bar's patrons, quote, King Kong ain't got shit on me! Which was then adopted by Denzel Washington in training day. I am not kidding.
4: <laughs> he waited a few minutes, but Murphy approached James a short time later, who shouted, quote, That's right, bitch! Darkness! Brother Darkness! And slapped him <laughs> with a downward motion that made his face hit the bar. Oh, oh quote, wow. quote, Why'd you hit me like that, Rick James asked. Because you hit me, Murphy said. That was weeks ago, mother effer, James screamed. He legitimately did not remember having just slapped Charlie Murphy five minutes beforehand.
0: Wow. Cocaine's a hell of a drug. A hell of a drug.
4: Why? Because, co- you know what? Hey, you know what? We'll actually come back to that later. <laughs> <laughs> Are
0: we now, just since we've attending talk-
4: that for now? <laughs> yeah, so since we've talked about James's friendship, if you want to call it that, with Charlie and Eddie Murphy... <laughs> <laughs> Let's jump ahead just a little bit in terms of timeline. Now, of course, Eddie Murphy is best known as a comedian and an actor, but he has also been a recording artist in his life.
3: Party all he, the time, party. He all
4: tried time. to work on some songs with Prince, but said he felt uncomfortable around him in the studio. James, seeing a chance to stick it to his old rival, brought Murphy into his home studio. Murphy would record a song written, arranged, and produced by James that would become the biggest hit of his career of course he only had two so it's yeah <laughs> it's a pretty low bar pretty low bar to clear but we're going to hear that one now so here is eddie murphy from 1985 doing a song written produced and arranged by rick james called party all the time classic um but the video have you ever seen a person more clearly raging on a cocaine bender than Rick James and party all the time
0: <laughs> i'm trying holy to
4: lord say, good God. To say,
0: maybe something steven tyler's done maybe maybe but yeah no yeah it's a and
4: it's what a and what a sweet perm he's got in that it is impressive and what what exactly color did you call his hair in that cuz it's you know he'd, he'd had black like kind of braided hair before this it's it's brassy
0: it's it's like okay if you uh if you know anything about like dyeing your hair when you bleach your hair after you bleach it, it it's not going to be blonde it's going to be brassy and so you have to tone it to make it look blonde and it looks like he just skipped that step and went straight to gold
4: so he has he has a golden perm yes
0: he looks like a lion
4: <laughs> wasn't wasn't that a movie that like peter fonda was in the golden golden on golden, perm. Per- on golden <laughs> perm or something
3: yeah no yeah. it's that john grisham book the perm right <laughs> right the perm <laughs> that's, that's right you're
4: correct yep how would you like a fun fact
3: fun, fun fact
4: party all the time reached number two on the billboard singles charts and stayed there for three weeks but never got to number one
0: okay but Keep- why
4: keeping it out of the number one spot was lionel richie's say you say me Say yeah say that, that, is,
0: that is that is sex on a 45 i'm sorry not pretty
4: much yeah. that is a pd or buddy that's oh, a, yeah. that's
0: that's a panty dropper don't I,
4: don't I mean oh i mean lionel knew lionel knew how to get uh women to take their britches off let's just be honest that's not done <laughs> <laughs> i can't
0: like, i i can't say anything about lionel because i i work with him so like oh yeah well yeah. he
3: knows and you know <laughs> He knows that you know, (laughs) that you know that he knows.
4: Okay, so musically speaking, James followed up his huge hit album, Street Songs, with Throwin' Down in 1982. The album featured contributions from The Temptations, Tina Marie, and Grace Slick. Oh jeez. Yeah. Now, it didn't sell nearly as well as its predecessor, but it was certified gold. Something else noteworthy happened in James's life in 1982. Now, James claimed in his autobiography to have slept with a lengthy list of well-known women. Among them, and I'm not going to read the whole list, you can google it if you'd like to because it's it's readily available, but I'll just hit the highlights.
0: Wait, wait, wait. Before you do this, do yeah. we need an allegedly or a this is speculation on this or this is
4: what this is claimed in rick james's autobiography okay
0: that's that's our caveat
4: don't see us (laughs) we didn't yes i'm i'm not a if if any of you were I think the, the odds of any of these people actually listening to our podcast is pretty slim. I'm not <laughs> saying you laid I'm not saying you laid naked with Rick. I'm saying he said you did. <laughs> yes. I, There's a big difference. Princess Elizabeth of Yugoslavia.
3: Well that was gonna be my first guess.
4: <laughs> I mean, off the gate. Here we go. <laughs> Ola Ray from Michael Jackson's thriller video. What? Jan Gay, who was the estranged wife of his best friend Marvin Gay.
3: Oh wow!
4: He he is in fact Rick James is nona gay's godfather. In, in case you didn't know that, wait, Rick is? Uh huh. Oh. Iman. Oh, Grace God. Grace Jones, Elizabeth Ooh. Shue, and many many others. Would you say Elizabeth Shue? Uh huh. Like Adventures in Babysitting. Uh, That's fun. Yeah, like, uh, yeah, the yeah. Yeah, one
0: from uh, Back to the Future two yeah. two Back two to and the Future three. two and three. Wow!
4: Cocktail. Cocktail. Yes. Cool. Okay, yeah. but the list is the list is linked, and you're welcome to look it up if you'd like to. What he had with the uh, star of the movie The Exorcist, Linda Blair, yep. was much more than just a hookup. However, as the two apparently had a two-year relationship from about 1982 to 1984. Well, there it is. It started when Blair said in an interview that she found James to be very sexy. Now, I never one to miss an opportunity when it came to a lady, James got her number and phoned her. In his book, James claims that Blair became pregnant early in their relationship, but had an abortion and didn't tell him about it until after the fact. He said, quote, I loved Linda and it hurt me that she would choose to abort our child without even wanting to talk to me about it first. I still look back on her choice with sadness and wonder about our baby and how having that child might have have changed my life. Wow. In a retrospective interview well after James's death, Blair was actually a little bit coy about the relationship, oddly. Now you can find pictures of the two of them laying naked in bed on <laughs> on Google. They're I mean, not hard I mean, to find. Yeah, yeah they're not. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, I, I... They're, they're plentiful.
3: I
0: accidentally found it trying to find a picture for our Instagram last week. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, wait a second. It almost felt a, a little bit intrusive. So don't Google it unless you're okay with being a voyeur. Because I felt, okay, I felt a little dirty. And I will tell you why. Because it was kind of like, and here's, here's me going on with strings of words that my brother will never understand. You know how when you were watching Game of Thrones, the final season, yep. and Arya slept with Gendry. It was like that. I watched that girl as a child. Yeah, and then and then I just Google pictures of Rick James and all of a sudden, like this child that I, I knew in like the 80s, uh, is all of a sudden very grown up.
3: But the difference <laughs> is Maisie Williams wasn't possessed by a demon.
0: The difference is Maisie Williams I didn't have her in my childhood.
4: This is true, yeah. But <laughs> I
3: today had, I could see that. I
0: mean I watched Linda Blair and it keeps getting funnier every single time.
4: All right, you, are you done? <laughs> Charlie Murphy.
0: <laughs> sorry, sorry. I know that. I know that my brother's Achilles heel is any kind of pop culture after <laughs> right. the year 1987. So Game of Thrones is well beyond the, the scope of his knowledge.
4: It, it was. So in an interview, I believe from 2011, so this is a good while after Rick James had passed away, Blair was a little bit coy about their relationship, saying, quote, I wouldn't say that we were as romantic as people probably wished that we were or thought that we were. Be that as it may, Linda, there are pictures of the two of you laying naked in bed. <laughs>
3: yeah, say what you will. That,
4: okay. that, I, that, that I've seen.
0: Okay, so, and let's put it this way. Somebody had to take those pictures. Charlie Murphy.
4: Right. <laughs> right okay. there, there was and no then, such thing as there was no such thing as a selfie in 1983
0: <laughs> there was not it was, it was
4: hard as hey, kids it was hard as hell to do a selfie with a polaroid <laughs> <laughs> uh
0: and then the other thing was those pictures are in color which means they had to take them to like the revco or the cvs or the sky city so like the one hour photo guy is sitting no, there. no it wasn't one oh. hour it was like two weeks I yeah, was now, I was
4: gonna say it took a couple of years to get pictures back on stuff like that
0: yeah it it if it wasn't black and white, you knew it had to go off, and it <laughs> would take like two three weeks for you to get back, and sometimes you get like the whole rollback, and none of them were good, yeah, like, like they were blurry the lighting
4: or, was screwed up or yep. you double exposed them sometimes, or yep, okay, there was all kind of there was all kind of taking taking pictures with real film was worthwhile when you got a good picture because digital really can't reproduce what a good actual film picture looks like to me a hundred percent yeah but oh it was it was fraught with peril yes
0: so i mean to get those pictures uh they had to work for it
4: right <laughs> i bet they work for it, hey, yeah. it <laughs> woo-hoo,
1: woo-hoo, woo-hoo.
3: <laughs> welcome to the giggling, <laughs> <Hibble> <laughs> podcast. giggling hibble, jamboree. We've re- i was gonna say if if ever there's
4: been a series where we earned the moniker Giggling Hillbillies, like, I think we found it. This this, yep, this one.
3: Yep, this and one. They this weren't one. a troll. They were ahead of their time. Yeah.
4: Right, exactly. So they were soothsayers, <laughs> truth tellers, as far as I'm concerned. Now, Linda Blair said that she and Rick drifted apart in 1984 as James's drug problems kicked into overdrive. Quote, I could not bear to be around that. It wasn't healthy for me, and it wasn't healthy for him, so I chose after a while to walk away. There was... One lasting musical legacy that resulted out of that relationship, however, James wrote the song Cold-Blooded about Linda Blair because he said that she could make his blood run cold. He also, by the way, said that, uh, making a reference to The Exorcist, her head wasn't the only thing that she could swivel. (laughs) So why don't we listen to that one now? Here's Rick James (laughs) with a song he wrote about Linda Blair. This is Cold-Blooded. i so- And we're back. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, like almost like a lot of the songs we've listened to the last uh, two weeks in particular, you know, that probably could have been two minutes shorter. <laughs> it wouldn't have been any, and it probably would have been a little better for it.
3: I, I still get that. I hear P Funk every time.
4: Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, that's well, a, that's a heavy, that's a heavy, infu- he, George Clinton was no doubt a big influence on Rick. And oh, sure. And of course, George also, you know, insinuated Rick might have lifted some, some uh, elements of Parliament um for his own use but um, which
3: rick denied
4: right but i just feel like one of you said it while we were listening to it like the dude kind of didn't know how to end the song sometimes it's like you know that was six that was that song was six minutes long and if it had been like three minutes and 45 seconds it would have been way better because <laughs> the last two minutes it's just yeah
0: it almost went back to that 1970s funk sound i was just thinking that
4: Yeah, a little bit, but a little more new wavy. It's real synth heavy.
0: So I hate to interrupt T, but we do have to take a short sponsor break and we will be right back. And we're back.
4: All right, so we're going to get back into part three of The Life and Times of Rick James. Yep,
0: there it is. Yeah.
4: But that song was the title track to Rick's 1983 album. Which like throwing down before it was certified gold. That would be the last real hit record of his career though, with his sales beginning to wane afterwards. In nineteen eighty three? Yeah. Wow. Unfortunately he would start to be known more for his antics and actions going forward. Now yeah. he was he was still popular enough. In the mid 1980s, to be featured on Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous
0: (laughs) with Robin Leach.
4: With Robin Leach. Up this week, it's Rick James, bitch. (laughs) I would have paid. So, did you think Robin Leach said that this week on Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous? It's it's Rick Rick James. Rick James, bitch. Both of you do a
3: terrible Robin Lee. That is the worst. Yeah.
4: Yes, I was going to say you had it in stereo. It was even worse. (laughs) That was that was horrendous.
3: This is this is rock and roll heaven, not impressions heaven.
4: (laughs) Right. For a reason. Now, in the feature Robin Lee did on him, James talked pretty frankly about having, and I'm making great big old air quotes, previously having had a drug problem. There is no indication of any kind that he didn't have one at the time. Okay. Mm. He talked about how much he loved his mother, though. How she'd supported eight kids, basically by working in the numbers game. And how Buffalo, where he had basically a ranch with a a, a bunch of horses, was where he felt the most at home. He also earned himself a guest starring role in 1985 on The A-Team. Nice. If you can find him and no one else can help, maybe you can call Rick James, bitch. <laughs> Holy crap, I love the A-team. Well, I please. love the A-team, and I had the hots for AAA. Uh, Amy Amanda that's Allen. That's fair. So, yes, Rick James was on an episode of the A-team. In the episode, James played himself. <laughs> he, he enlists Faceman, Murdoch, Hannibal, and B.A., to help a friend and fellow musician who was in jail, played by Isaac Hayes, by the way. Oh, wow.
0: Who I have met.
4: Who, who you've met. So there's another Six Degrees of Separation. And there's another one coming up here in just a little bit. It's interesting that James was in a show, I think, about former soldiers on the run from military authorities. <laughs> since that kind of mirrored his life story. Yep. Yep. It's also interesting that the episode featured him in prison, since that's a little bit of foreshadowing, but we'll get there. We will get
1: there
2: later. In
4: 1985, James released the album Glow. Now, after releasing seven very successful albums in a row, this one was a critical and commercial disappointment. It failed to even reach gold status, and the Rolling Stone Album Guide gave it just two out of five stars, saying it sounded like James had run out of ideas and they called it, quote, a waste. It peaked at just number 50 on the Billboard album chart. His 1986 follow up, The Flag, did even worse, barely cracking the top 100. Wow. People magazine said James's, quote, strong, supple voice and superb arranging talents are wasted on the album. And Rolling Stone gave it a one star review.
0: Ooh, wow.
4: That would actually be James's final album for the Motown Gordy imprint label. But he did sign with Reprise Records. His first release for that label would be Wonderful. Now, do we all remember the two-word review the fictional band Spinal Tap received for their album Shark Sandwich? I can't
0: think of it. This goes up to 11.
4: Shit Sandwich. That's... (laughs) Well, Wonderful, the album was titled Wonderful, could have gotten a one-word review, basically. Not... (laughs) oh Oh, ouch all music gave it a one-star review and the album failed to crack the billboard top 100 topping out at number 142 there were no singles from the album to make the pop charts either though it did have one song that was a hit on the r&b charts that was a song called lucy's rap yes which, which featured a pair of rap breaks by roxanne shanti now james did do a video for the song one which featured scores of barely clothed women, a woman wearing not much more than a colonial George Washington-type coat and hat, <laughs> girls showering together, and a heavy insinuation that the girls were really enjoying one another's company in the shower. Okay?
3: Like
4: MTV, here's a shocker, wouldn't play it, deeming it obscene, <laughs> which which led James to accuse the network of double standards, since they did play racy videos by the likes of Madonna, he said. Mm. Now, As we discussed in part two of the series, MTV would not play his Super Freak video back in 1981, claiming it was too vulgar. But at that point, the network rarely played black artists at all. Now, that had changed by the time this video was released in 1988, and it should be noticed that the BET network also refused to play the video. So we're going to listen to the song now. And not to taint the jury, but in my opinion, I think that you will see that that, um, that 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 one-star review might have been kind. So Ooh. again, again, just personal opinion. But we'll we'll listen and then we'll discuss afterwards. So here's Rick James with a song from 1988 called "Lucy's Rap."
0: Okay, I'm gonna say this right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, watching the video, I've got questions. Mm-hmm.
3: Like, okay. who
0: who was the director that was like, "Yes, yes, put all the shaving cream on your chest." That was my takeaway. <laughs>
4: put put a, yes. Put all put all the shaving cream on your chest. Attractive young female. <laughs> exactly. It's Just like
0: no, when I think of sexy, I think of a woman. I, I think of a woman shaving her chest.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's hot. There's nothing that revs my motor quite like a chick with chest hair. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah boy. That's uh, quite a thing there. So to me, I don't know what you guys thought of that song. To me, that sounds like a kind of starting to age R&B soul artist desperately trying to be relevant by embracing rap and failing miserably. That's what it sounded like to my ears.
3: It sounds phoned in. Okay, you if, you, if you take it out of
0: context, it's not terrible. If you take it out of context, it's not it's not the worst thing I've ever heard. That would probably be whatever that crap was. That uh, It's it's not cobwebs and strange.
4: It's not um, It's not cookie puss. <laughs> That's what
0: That's I was thinking classic. of. Cookie puss.
3: How dare you? Cookie puss is it's terrible. Not, How dare you? Puss,
4: it's not cookie puss, and it's not David Bowie pretending to be garden gnomes, and it's not Van Halen 3, but it's bad
3: we know what it isn't <laughs> right yeah i mean it's,
4: but it's not what it what it also what it also isn't is good
3: uh, correct yeah I, I would say again it sounds kind of phoned in like like you said it sounds like somebody who's almost struggling to maintain their vegas residency and not one of the big hotels the one that's a little bit off the strip like not the golden <laughs> nugget yeah yeah
0: oh no what's the other one anything in prim
3: Basically, yes, These are the, that, that's the thing you see headlining in Prim Nevada. Or, yeah, Buffalo Bills. <laughs> Buffalo Bills. Yeah. They haven't quite made it to Vegas. They're about 90 miles from Where's Vegas. Where's
0: the Rick James concert? It's next to the shot-up car from Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah, pretty
3: much. Rick's
4: second and final album with reprise was 1989's Kickin', which was actually initially shelved, then only saw limited release in the UK where it failed to chart at all. James had released 11 albums in 11 years, but that prolific nature was about to take a downturn, partly because he would not be be available to record, as you will see shortly. Now, even though he wasn't having any hits himself, that didn't mean that Rick James's music wasn't still indirectly selling big numbers. In 1989, a rapper by the name of MC Hammer sampled Super Freak for the song You Can't Touch This. Now, I found, and,
0: oh boy, did I buy into those hammer pants?
4: <laughs> yep. Now I found conflicting information about whether or not James actually consented to allow use of his work. He was quoted as saying that if MC Hammer had asked his permission, he would have said no. But then there was another line of thought that Hammer asked his record label for permission, and they gave it. But however, this is where our hero from part two of the series, James's band leader Levi Ruffin Jr., reenters the picture. Yes. On Tales from the Tour Bus, he indicated a request actually was made, though how much of the song was going to be used was perhaps lowballed. Quote, Hammer called, but none of us knew anything about this sampling shit they were doing. And (laughs) Hammer talked to Rick about using just a little small part of the song. And man, he took the whole effing line. James didn't even like You Can't Touch This. Quote, hell no, I wasn't impressed with that shit, James said. (laughs) Stone City band member Stone City band member Daniel Lamell said, quote, Rick was pissed. He said, how can this dude just take my song and blaspheme it and do this to it and do that to it? And the song sucks and blah, blah, blah. Until that first check hit. Hmm. When that first royalty check hit Rick's pocket, it was a completely different ballgame. Because obviously You Can't Touch This was one of the biggest hits of the late 1980s. It sold millions of copies. You couldn't it, avoid it. Uh, right, you couldn't avoid it. It was If you weren't alive then to hear it, and to, and to see the phenomenon it became, then you don't... you. I, I can't explain it to you. It was more than a hit song. It was people wore You Can't Touch This t-shirts and it was a catchphrase universally, almost. And we don't really have a lot of those anymore. Songs like that.
3: I'm trying to think that, anything even comes close to the phenomenon. Achy, that, now,
4: oh, no. Oh, no, no. A K Breaky Heart came pretty close a few years later. The people macarena. walk around wearing the t-shirts t- and but but that you can't touch this was ubiquitous. Well, it was. Um, it was omnipresent. You couldn't escape the damn thing. I would it say was, I would
0: say the Macarena was probably the closest thing we could have gotten. The Macarena
4: kind of comes close. Okay, Macarena comes close. Achey Breaky Heart probably came close a few years later. I would say James did file a lawsuit, but it was settled out of court with James given co-writing credit. And uh, you can't touch this. Not only made James, in his word, quote, a shitload of money. <laughs> It also won him his first and only Grammy award.
0: Wow!
4: Yep, huh. he was given co he was given co writing credit. So when that won, uh, you know, a couple of Grammys at that year's ceremony, those were the only ones Rick ever won in his entire career.
3: Did he even get nominated? I mean, uh,
4: you know, I'm not sure if he got any, many nominations or not. He had no he had no other Grammy wins though, other than for "You Can't Touch This." Wow! Now we're about to veer into particularly disturbing territory. So. Let's have one more crazy, whacked-out story as kind of a palate cleanser before we do. In his book, former heavyweight boxing champion Mike Tyson recounted beating Rick James at a large party in Los Angeles.
3: Oh, man.
4: The next time he saw him was an occasion when Tyson was sitting outside a hotel with Ricky Schroeder and Alfonso Ribeiro having a drink. (laughs) Nice! (laughs) Tyson figures the two actors were 16 and 17 respectively at the time, but he was still sitting there drinking beer with them. (laughs) He said that Rick James pulled up in a convertible Rolls Royce. He got out wearing, quote, a loud shirt that was unbuttoned and an untied tie. He walked up and gave Tyson five, then looked at Ribeiro. Aren't you an actor, he asked, right before he sucker punched him. Give me that effing beer. He then took Ribeiro's beer and started drinking it. Tyson protested that Rivera was just a kid and that James shouldn't have punched him, but James looked at, at Mike Tyson and said, what's up, N-word? Wow. Yeah.
0: I'm sorry, what? Whew. Oh, boy.
4: Yeah, real thing okay. that happened. Unbuttoned shirt, untied tie, says, aren't you an actor, and punches Alfonso Ribeiro in the face, takes his beer and drinks it in front of him. Wow. Wow. So, yeah. So, in 1991... Rick James's life came completely unglued when his mother, Betty, passed away from stomach cancer. Mm. James said that threw him into a deep depression and that he dealt with it by upping his already frighteningly high level of drug consumption, which is quite a thing to say about a man who spent more than $1,000 a day on cocaine. Oh,
3: so he's in the, he's in the Jennings
0: club. Wait, $1,000 a day? Yep. Yes. On cocaine
4: that is so much toot and you gotta think that, that is so much I can't like even. eating what what we have any idea what like an ounce of cocaine would have cost in 1991 i'm, I'm I sorry that, but i ended up on a list you know what i'm already on a
0: list i'll google it hang on i'm just gonna hey siri yeah how just much did an ounce of cocaine cost in 1989 oh <laughs> she actually gave answer. me an answer the street price of powdered cocaine ranges from $16, $16 per gram in Los Angeles to 20 for poor quality powder in Yakima, Washington, which I've been to. I've actually been Long to Springs Yakima. Yes, Yakima. Uh,
4: hey, let me tell you something. You, you should Stay off that Yakima too, y'all. They cut it with seven dust. Hang on. Don't, don't be smart well, I mean, this, out.
0: This is, this is, okay, hang on. This is from 19, this, this is an article from 1989, okay. okay? Okay. So just, just so you know, so by that account- Will's doing the math on the 16
3: a gram. So it's $16 per gram. He was allegedly going through 62 ounces of cocaine a day. 62 grams of cocaine a day. So let's convert
4: grams. Oh my God.
0: It's 2.18699 ounces.
4: Okay. So he, he was doing almost, he was doing two to three ounces of. Every day. And an ounce, And an ounce is a lot of booger sugar.
0: How does he have a nose? Every
1: day.
4: <laughs> Every day. So he was in the Waylon Jennings. I'm spending a grand a day on it, club, Of which I think only Waylon and Rick James are members. <laughs> I've never heard of anybody else. That's, that, is, that is obscene. Holy crap.
0: That, that's an amount I can't even fathom. Because I, like, a day. I mean, I'll make a candle and it's eight ounces. So I'm thinking, like, he does a candle's worth of blow in, like, four days.
4: Right. Good Lord. So, James had James had been to rehab a dozen or more times over the years, but it never stuck.
0: Maybe he should now, have gone with Steven Tyler again.
4: Well, interesting you say that. <laughs> in, in Mike Judge's fantastic show, Tales from the Tour Bus, the Stone City Band talk about the fact that they actually put Rick James in a car and drove him from Buffalo to Boston to take him to rehab on one occasion. But Daniel Lamel said that they, quote, didn't do their due diligence because Rick James ended up at that sort of retreat ish rehab facility in a bungalow next to Steven Tyler. And the two of them got caught with an ounce of cocaine at rehab.
0: <laughs> in rehab. I thought they checked you for that stuff when you came in.
4: I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. I, I Somehow to... Rick James and Steven Tyler got caught in a bungalow <laughs> with an ounce of cocaine. <laughs> in rehab. At rehab.
0: You guys know uh, the point of you guys know the point
4: of rehab, right? Right. You keep using this word. I do not. Think you know what it means. <laughs> Holy monkey! I mean,
0: okay.
4: Um, Rick James's friend, uh, and oh, here's where, where we get back to our six degrees of separation. Ready? Okay. Rick James's friend Debbie Allen actually invited him to a Broadway show that she was appearing in. But having partied all night, he fell asleep during the performance, sitting on the front row.
0: Oh no. She,
4: She accosted him backstage, pinned him to the floor and told him that all he did was have sex and do drugs and that he was ruining his life. He promised to change his ways, but he got he got high and had sex later that evening. Now, the the six degrees of separation there is actually that Debbie Allen's mother lives about a mile from my office.
0: And she's written you, hasn't she?
4: Yes. And I've met Debbie and Debbie is an almost, she is one of the nicest. She's like a ball of energy and happy sunshine. (laughs) She is, she is such a nice, wonderful person. And of course, because I'm a sports fan, getting to meet her husband was very cool because she's married to Norm Nixon who played for the Showtime Lakers.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. But he let Debbie Allen beat the crap out of him, basically.
3: So basically, Debbie Allen kicked his ass. <laughs> Sounds like... <laughs> and then he le- he left, got high, and, and had sex with somebody. And had sex
4: later that evening. He reached out to Ray Charles at one point, who obviously dealt with um, some addiction issues, for advice about how to deal with drugs. But that totally did not help. <laughs> As Charles, Charles, as he talked to Rick James, drank a big mug of coffee that featured a 50-50 mix of java and gin every 90 minutes. Wait, what? Ray Charles, as he talked to Rick James every 90 minutes, drained a giant mug that was 50% coffee and 50% gin. Oh.
0: <laughs>
4: and he pronounced to James that he had written almost all of his hits while he was high.
0: <laughs> I mean, I believe that. Yeah. Not that. Of okay,
4: first of all, gin and coffee sounds horrible. That, that, sounds, that sounds terrible.
0: That, that sounds, sounds like the worst shit. Thing
3: ever.
4: <laughs> first of all, gin is gin by itself is bad enough. It's like drinking pine needles. Why in the god's name would you put that in your coffee?
3: Yeah, it does not sound good.
4: I think I want to say somebody made me a gin fizz drink one time that was pretty good, but for the most part, I don't really like gin. And and gin and coffee sounds grotesque
0: it sounds far too dry and bitter
4: yes it's yeah yes it sounds like you're doubling up on those things which which are not that good to start with james got so twitchy for a hit on one occasion while waiting for his drug dealer to bring him a new shipment that he used rubbing alcohol to scrub residue from his crack pipe so he'd have something to smoke
1: oh lord
4: on one occasion, he poured the residue and alcohol onto a plate, but dropped the plate while he was walking to his bedroom, setting his bathrobe on fire. Oh my God. A friend who was in the house tackled him and smothered the flames with a bedspread, but James, still smoldering with smoke coming from his skin, got up and continued on as if nothing had happened. <laughs> what? Yeah. He put foil over his windows to block out the light and would smoke crack by himself for hours. His drug intake isn't the only vice that had spiraled to untold heights. Now, before I read you a quote from his autobiography, let me say that as a famous comedy sketch to come would demonstrate, James would often contradict himself within the course of a single sentence. He did have a crazy life, but he perhaps didn't always present things as they really were and he liked to build up his own mystique through outrageous claims. Still, he said what he said of his sex life in the wake of his mother's death, and what he said was this, quote, There was nothing to keep me from descending into the lowest levels of hell. That meant orgies. That meant sadomasochism. That even meant bestiality.
0: Oh, I thought you said there were no animals. Oh,
4: no. No. (laughs) Are you just glazing over that? I don't know what to say. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Rick offered no elaboration and thank God for small favors. (laughs) Like I do not need to hear about Rick James tooling a marmot.
0: Okay. Oh my. All right. So now, I'm on.
4: Not, now, now, hey, now he gave no elaboration, and I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying that's what he did, but I'm just, I'm just, nope. I'm connecting dots here. He nope. We're done. We horses. are done. We're
0: done. Move, move forward.
4: <laughs> it's not getting, my it's not getting any better. Making right.
0: love to. You. Oh crap! No, that's not Stop a good. It. Just, no, no, just let's let's uh um, roll. roll. Let's do the
4: next thing. Yeah, yeah, let's do the next thing. On to the next. In 1990, James, who was in his early 40s at the time, began dating 18-year-old model Tanya Hijazi. In 19 1991, James and Hijazi met a 24-year-old woman at a party um, who was unemployed and offered to put her up in their house. On ju- July 16th, James allegedly accused the woman of stealing some of his drugs. She says that James pulled a gun and threatened to kill her if she tried to leave. She said that James and Hijazi tied her up to a chair and burned her with a hot knife, a cigarette lighter, and a hot crack pipe more than 30 times, including on her genitalia.
3: Jeez. Yeah, that's the, that's the account i heard.
4: They forced her to smoke crack. Then James made her have sex with Hijazi while he watched. Yeah. Then they had a three-way. Wow. wow. She was allowed to leave the house on July 18th and went to Cedars-Sinai Medical Center, where her injuries led hospital workers to notify police. James and Hijazi were arrested on an array of charges ranging from torture and false imprisonment to assault with a deadly weapon and kidnapping ones that had them facing the potential of life in prison. Wow. Per a later interview he did with Tom Snyder on The Late Late Show, James said that once he and Hijazi finally got a bond, the next day he went into the streets of Hollywood and bought some crack. Mm -hmm. Per his retelling, two plainclothes officers approached his car with their guns drawn. Obviously, an arrest for possession would have led to an immediate revocation of his bond. So James said that he ate the crack.
1: Oh, uh, my swallowing it,
4: Swallowing it and the baggie that it was in, in whole. Just t- oh. took, the little ba- took the baggie of crack and just swallowed the whole thing.
1: Wow.
4: He evaded arrest. And about eight hours later, he pooped out that baggie. And promptly smoked the crack Ugh. that had passed through his digestive system and his Duker.
0: Here's the thing, though, T. Um, Starbucks has a very special coffee, which <laughs> it's they feed the beans to like a Bengal tiger or something, and then they follow it around with like a little baggie, and then you know when it poops out the beans, uh, then they brew the coffee, and it's super expensive. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
4: Oh so he shit out a bag of crack and smoked it. Wow. So wow. how does that work? Do you, do you like crap in a colander so that it <laughs> Yeah,
0: I don't know how I don't want or to do it. You, uh, or do, like women, do you just like paw it out? Ugh. I mean, I you're mean, already like, smoking like, crack that's, in your, like, that's coming out of your butt. I mean, I'm thinking just reaching straight in and just snatching it is not like out of the this is not realm the, of cr- possibility. This is not the craziest thing Rick James has done <laughs> This is also not the conversation I thought we should be having on a Friday night.
4: Wow. From I don't need to talk crack. About
0: the logistics of poop crack. There's poop crack. a
4: butt crack.
0: Oh, God. Womp womp.
1: I'm
3: I shouldn't laugh at this, but I it's, it's just so <laughs> outrageous. It's, it's hard to believe it's
4: real. Oh, my God. And this is stuff that happened. Yes, He sat there on national television and told Tom Snyder he smoked his, his poop crack. I gotta find that just to
3: see Snyder's reaction. That's what I would want to I feel I like say. I
0: need to isolate just that part.
3: <laughs> just that little part of TJ's dialogue. <laughs> Ooh. Okay.
4: So it would actually be almost two years before Rick James and Hijazi went on trial for their assault. But in the interim, there was another horrifying incident. A music executive said that James had arranged a meeting with her to discuss a business miniature. Instead, the woman said James and Hijazi kidnapped her and assaulted her over the course of 20 hours.
3: Jeez.
4: In his book, James detailed that he did brutally beat that woman.
3: Jeez. So he's- and that in his book accounts of these crimes that he's committed
4: well now he he the, to the first crime that we discussed he pled innocent he did in okay. his in his posthumously released autobiography he admits that in the in the second case that he that he beat the hell out of that woman
3: Jeez, wow.
4: he said that when she when he was done beating her that she looked like she'd been hit by a truck
3: Jeez,
0: why and why knew, well what made him so masochistic
4: drugs. I think it was the fact that he was he was just smoking crack at that point.
3: Yeah, he was smoking crack that came out of his own ass. That's why.
4: <laughs> right. You're talking about such a hardcore, and I'm not, I would never excuse a, a guy doing that ever, ever, ever for any reason. But watching a lot of documentaries and reading a lot of stories, people said that when he started freebasing and smoking crack, that he was not the same person oh, that right done.
0: Also, that- here's a through line. Uh, it won't happen next week, but it will happen probably in like three weeks where we also talk about someone who did crack cocaine. Yes, we will. There's a lot of crack this year. A really? A lot of crack.
4: Yeah. But yeah, in his book... He, he detailed that he did brutally beat that woman and said that when he was done, whether she looked like that she'd been hit by a truck, I mean, he, he picked her up and helped clean her up afterward.
0: Oh, that's nice of him.
4: Yeah. James would ultimately be ordered to pay that woman $1 million in a civil settlement. Wow. James, during the, the um, trial for the first lengthy assault, did take the stand in his own defense. He sobbed when discussing the death of his mother, when she said sent him into a giant tailspin. Bizarrely, he asked the judge for the entire trial to be paused for a weekend so that he could wed Hichazi. His Honor, surprisingly or not surprisingly, let's just be honest, said no. <laughs> but yeah. We're not going to stop. We're not going to stop the trial so you can get married, Rick. Sorry. Yeah. Now, Hichazi had actually gotten pregnant in the interim between when the assault happened and when their trial began. She ended up pleading guilty to one of the assault charges and was sentenced to four years in prison. She and James did welcome son Tasman James to the world in late 1993. James actually had two children from a much earlier relationship with a girlfriend named Seville that we actually talked about back in part one of our Rick James series. But Hajazi, was soon sent to prison, and James, while he managed to beat some of the torture charges thanks to a hung jury, was found guilty on two assault charges and was sentenced to five years in prison at Folsom. Oh, wow. Yep, so James was sent to Folsom Prison. Wow. Now, he talked about his time in prison in the aforementioned Tom Snyder interview. He said a number of people there took care of him, But they also gave him a little bit of a tongue lashing, asking him, what are you doing here with us? Many of them had been in jail before the real advent of crack, so they didn't understand when he tried to tell them about it. What they did know was that he was rich, he was famous, and that he had blown it. He needed to do better for himself, but he also needed to set a better example for black youth, he said they told him. He said they told him when he got out, they had better not ever see him in jail again. Now, he said he really only got into one fight while he was in prison, that being with a, quote, Russian Aryan type. And Rick says that he beat the dude's ass. (laughs) He also wrote about 300 songs while he was in jail and rededicated his life to Christianity, he said. Now, James was actually released from prison after less than three years and i read one story but then i it was I, I couldn't find it when i wanted to go back and cite it i think there was it, it was ruled there was some sort of prosecutorial misconduct in relation to his trial and that helped him get parole i think
0: oh gotcha gotcha um okay. yeah something uh that reminds me something similar happened to uh, scott peterson recently mm-hmm. yeah they overturned the death penalty because apparently the judge dismissed someone who uh, Oppose the death penalty, which, so which, yes, okay. which you can't do. So they overturned the. Okay. They didn't overturn the the conviction. They overturned the death penalty. Mm. So he will have life in prison now. Got I it. think okay. so. It's kind of the same thing. Like mm-hmm. if you don't, if the process isn't taken care of within the court system, like by the letter of the law, like literally the letter of the law. Things reverse right. in your favor. So Sure.
4: Now he did express disappointment that in, in his words, many of his quote, famous black friends never spoke out on his behalf or defended him. He said, quote, I'm very disappointed they're protecting their own rich asses so they can kiss my ass. Hmm. He specifically mentioned Eddie Murphy and Arsenio Hall, by the way. James decided to get back to what he did best once he got out of prison, that being music. He said that for the first time, he would be performing and recording completely clean. He said he'd never made a record before without large quantities of cocaine, bowls full of quaaludes, and copious amounts of cognac and Jack Daniel's black in the studio.
0: That wait is Jack Daniels black the one that you you mix?
4: I mean you you can. Yeah, you can drink it straight. Well,
0: too. you know, be, yeah, that's gonna ask because like they yeah. say, like what was a uh, red you should mix What's it. What's Johnny Walker? Oh, you're, my,
4: you're thinking of Johnny Walker, yeah. All I'm right, you're
0: right. Yeah. This is what happens. I don't drink. I forget all the
1: booze.
4: Although Jack Black is really good, I'm a fan. Uh, but James decided to get back to what he did. That that being music, It for the first time he would be doing it completely clean. In this, um, in 1997. A self-proclaimed Sober James delivered the last album of his lifetime, that being Urban Rhapsody. He attempted to blend funk, soul, and rap on an album that featured contributions from everybody from Snoop Dogg to Bobby Womack. Wow. He tackled some some deeper issues uh, than in the past, including social issues, politics, his faith, but also sex Mm. and drugs, because it's Rick James. (laughs) <laughs> the album wasn't a hit really but it did receive some decent reviews certainly better than uh, his, his previous album or two had gotten so we're going to listen to one song from that album now so here's something from James's comeback effort this is a song called West Coast Thing
1: Wow L.A. City of the angels Palm trees sunshine honey's everywhere Girl look, ain't that rick? Mm -hmm. Yo girl.
4: So that was uh, Rick James with a song from Urban Rhapsody called "West Coast Thing." Now, yeah, to be honest with you, I, I listened to most of that album—not the whole thing. I think I listened to at least part of all the songs. It, they're not terrible. They have a very dated feel about them to me. What, what did you make of that song there, Eldie? You Yeah, it sounded like you—you you weren't really into it.
0: Okay, I'm gonna—I'm gonna do this the best way I can do it. Okay, there's a movie, and well, it was a Broadway show first but uh, I, I, I haven't been able to see the Broadway show because, you know, COVID, uh, called Rock of Ages. And it's a jukebox musical, but part of the through line in the film is that the, uh, the main character, Wolfgang von Colt, which is not his real name, that's his stage name, uh, wants to be a rocker, but then he sells out to be a boy band. And it kind of sounds like that. It sounds okay. like someone who used to have musical integrity that sort of sold out to get a sound that they thought was popular as opposed to doing what they believed was right
4: yeah uh, having listened to the whole album or, or not well up uh, to i think at least part of every song and read about it you know it sounded like rick was trying to to be a little more issue oriented he tackled some some political stuff and social issues and he talked about you know saying about god and and drugs and sex still too but there was some ambient noise, kind of stuff on some of the songs. Street noise, almost. It almost felt like Rick was kind of ripping Marvin Gaye's "What's Going On" album a little bit, maybe, but just not doing it great, in my opinion. Some of the songs are, are okay, but it just—they it, it, were all kind of like what you just heard. There was nothing about them that popped. They were just—they just yeah, they are just, kind of, just kind of there.
0: It was very generic. And I hate, I hate speaking ill of the art of the dead, but you know, we are a warts and all podcast and I will, I, this is my opinion is that it just isn't great because it feels like he, he lost touch with himself.
4: A little bit. Yeah. And I'm
0: not, and I'm not saying, please go back to drugs so you can make good music, not by yeah. any stretch of the imagination, but no. I'm saying like, take a moment for yourself and realize please. what got you there and, and keep doing you know keep keep the formula that you have i'm not saying don't change with the times but what i am saying is know what the times are maybe
4: Tula tool, tool a beefalo and smoke some poop crack
0: that's not what we're saying kids
4: <laughs> <laughs> i think we just encouraged that didn't we
0: uh listen to your aunt lindley don't do drugs no, no dame said he
4: was nervous about hitting the stage for the first time in many years for a couple of reasons for one At that time, he said that he had gained quite a bit of weight, which made him feel self-conscious. He said thanks to doctors, rehab, friends, and his renewed faith, he wasn't doing drugs, but he still wanted cocaine. Mm -hmm. Before his first show at uh, the House of Blues, somewhere in California, I don't remember exactly where, uh, once he got out of jail, friends Paul Mooney and Chris Tucker visited him in his dressing room. Chris Tucker? Wow. Yeah, they helped keep him loose, and he delivered a show that he was happy with. There were a lot of health problems on the way, however. For one thing, he had to have hip replacement surgery. Now, he chalked up the damage to the joint to dancing, gyrating, and jumping around the stage while inebriated on drugs and alcohol. He said the doctor claimed the condition was common in musicians, actually called it quote rock and roll hip and noted that Eddie Van Halen had just had the same procedure. I was literally going to say
0: like, didn't Eddie Van Halen have like the same kind of surgery? Yes.
4: Yes. A hundred percent. The exact same procedure. He had, he had a hip replacement surgery. Oh
0: wow. Copy that.
4: Yeah. So, um, he and Murphy apparently made nice, you know, he, he said that his black friends didn't support him when he went to jail, and he named, called Eddie Murphy by name. They obviously made nice because Eddie Murphy made him an offer to appear in the film Life in 1999, which he did.
0: Oh, yeah.
4: Yeah. However, later that year in 1999, James suffered a stroke on stage. Oh, oh wow. Geez. One that would place him uh, or put him in a place where he had to learn to walk again. He was mostly off the radar until 2004. But his career was about to step right back into the spotlight and out of the darkness. By this time, comedian Dave Chappelle had launched an enormously popular self-titled show on Comedy Central. One of the regular contributors on Chappelle's show was Charlie Murphy. Charlie Murphy. He was actually in a lot of skits. But the ones he is probably best known for are his true Hollywood stories, (laughs) focusing on the interaction he and his brother had with both Rick James and Rick James's old nemesis, Prince.
0: <laughs> yep.
4: Now, at the outset of this episode, we detailed some of Charlie's interactions with James, and those were both depicted in the sketches on The Chappelle Show. So was an occasion when James came over to Eddie Murphy's home. Now, the comedian had a very nice and very well-kept home, which included a new suede couch, Oh, no. (laughs) James showed up, and despite being told not to do so, proceeded to lay down on the couch and grind his dirty boots into it.
0: Oh, that's just
4: rude. As it was reenacted in the sketch, James yelled, F your couch, N-word. Buy another one, you rich mother. effer! F your couch. F your couch, N-word. Wow. When he recounted it on the show, James's exact quote was, quote, I never just did things to do them. What am I going to do? Just jump up and grind my feet in somebody's couch? Come on. I've got a little (laughs) more sense than that. Yeah, I remember grinding my feet in Eddie's couch.
3: (laughs) (laughs) In the course of a
4: sentence, he contradicted himself. What? In the same sentence, he's already contradicted himself. Ask why he did it, James said, quote, because Eddie could buy another one. (laughs) Now, there were varying accounts about whether Murphy actually laid an ass-whipping on James uh, as a result of doing that to his brother's couch. James himself claims, quote, in his effing dreams, he kicked my ass. (laughs) But that skit also featured James explaining memory lapses and incidents away with the, quote, cocaine is a hell of a drug,
3: (laughs) and portrayed
4: him as constantly announcing, I'm Rick James, bitch. I'm Rick James, bitch. I'm Rick James, bitch. Yep. I hear that
0: when I when I fall asleep at night.
4: <laughs> yeah. Well, those those sketches enjoyed mammoth popularity, and nearly every line of dialogue spoken by Chappelle portraying Rick James became popular catchphrases. There yep. was talk at one point of Chappelle actually playing Rick James in a movie. Oh, jeez. In fact, the catchphrases became too prevalent for the liking of Chappelle himself. He said when he took his children to Disney World, almost every person he encountered in the park screamed, I'm Rick James, bitch, <laughs> at him. He said, quote, could you not call me a bitch in front of my kids? He <laughs> joked that even Mickey Mouse did it.
1: Huh, I'm Rick James, bitch.
3: I would pay so much money <laughs> and here. He
4: said, and he said, that was, which is was just completely unprofessional. How dare he? Once,
0: Once again, Guys, this is not the Impression Podcast. Right.
4: (laughs) At one stand-up performance, with many in the crowd screaming, I'm Rick James, bitch, Chappelle told them that his TV show was, quote, ruining his life. Quote, the network officials say you're not smart enough to get what I'm doing, and every day I fight for you. I tell them how smart you are. Turns out I was wrong. You people are stupid, Chappelle said before, walking off the stage early. So there are actually people who say that the Rick James True Hollywood stories are the sketches that ended the Chappelle show. Mm -hmm. Now, LD, you actually worked on the Chappelle show. Yep. Did you, Do and and you, I'm I'm sure you know quite a bit about what happened after the fact. Um, Do you feel like that's a thing, that that's one of, one of the things that contributed to Dave feeling like, man, screw this.
0: Uh, I don't know. I, I will not speculate on what happened afterwards. I will say this: I, people would walk up to me on the street, and know who I was, right. in, in New York City in two thousand three, two thousand four. Mm-hmm. Out here, I would—I worked in a video store, and I was stocking shelves. And someone actually walks up to me and, and said, "Oh, are you Jenny, the girl who's dating the N-word from you know school?" And I right. said. I was like, uh, could you not use that kind of words around me, please? And right, yeah, yeah you know, there, when the IMDb pages were, still had like a message board on them, right. uh, there were pages devoted to particular skits. So my skit had its own page and, you know, the, the, the Rick James stuff would have his own page. But seriously, people still, still recognize the Chappelle show as like a hallmark moment in yeah. t- it was a watershed moment in tv it was one of those shared experiences that millions of people had which is really rare now for everything that we can watch right like if, if you think about it like tiger king on crack mm-hmm. well tiger king on more crack
4: is it is it um poop crack
0: is not poop crack but but the Chappelle show was a watershed moment in TV. It was huge. I, it,
4: it, you can't, it's hard to quantify that now. It really is. It,
0: it really is. Like there's nothing we really have that's that kind of shared comedic experience that we all have. Right. You know, you'll meet a couple, you'll meet people that like, oh yeah, they love Schitt's Creek or, oh, they love the good place or, oh, they love this or the, but you won't find like millions and millions of people who watch Kind of the same thing now. I think Game of Thrones was the closest. Get, get, well, I'm talking about comedy. Oh, comedy please. strictly, okay. strictly yeah. comedy.
1: Yeah,
4: right.
0: So you don't really have that that in our our zeitgeist. And so, really, you look at Chappelle's Show, and it was something that was so new and so different and so like earth shattering that there is a lot of pressure that goes into that. You're creating a show that garners millions of views a week, millions upon millions. In a time where social media really wasn't a thing.
4: Do you you, you want to know something? Uh, Because this was in a story I read. When the Dave Chappelle bit aired about Rick James, Facebook was something like three or four weeks old.
0: (laughs) Uh, Probably still in colleges only. Yeah, it might have been.
4: But that that was such a, uh, you're right. That was such a Hallmark watershed kind of a moment. But, you know, so here's Dave trying to, Go out and do stand-up which is really what he loves doing, by his own admission. And he he can't even do his his act because people in the jack and the crowd were screaming, "I'm Rick James!" Batch! Like over yeah. and over and over. And it he can- didn't want. He never envisioned that turning into a punchline. That's not or or, or into like a cheap punchline. susan season, season two of that is a one of the funniest seasons of a show there's ever been. Period. Yeah. That's, that that because that, yeah. that's that's the true Hollywood stories that's your bit, that's a bunch of the, the, the all-time classics, and then it was just gone.
0: I applaud him for walking away, because yeah. if, if I was stifled like that, I would have walked away too. Like, I have I have nothing but good things to say about Dave Chappelle. He was compassionate. He is incredibly funny. He's one of the best people I ever worked with, and I only got to work with him for, what, two days? And for me to carry that with me for almost 20 years now, that
4: says a lot. Sure, Definitely. But, you know, that, that was a, 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 one of the things that turned him off. And there are, you can re- go read stories where people said that that was the sketch that ended the Chappelle show or whatever. Still, still there was a wave of publicity for Rick James after that bit aired in February of 2004. He swore that he was still clean at this point, but Stone City band member Daniel Lamel said in Tales from the Tour Bus that James was freebasing again. James's last performance was on June 29, 2004 singing Fire and Desire with Tina Marie on the BET Award show. There might have been a hint that things weren't great then, as he sure seemed like peak coked up Rick James as he recounted for the BET audience from the stage uh, an incident he had backstage with a woman who didn't apparently know who he was. Quote, this is what he said on the BET Award show broadcast. Quote, never mind who you thought I was, I'm Rick James, bitch, he said. (laughs) Ruffin and Lamel said that they and James were supposed to begin prepping for a tour in September of 2004. But when they talked to him, they said that he sounded sick. Ruffin actually said that he kind of joked that, oh, man, I, I hope Rick will be around for that tour. Ha ha ha. But then, quote, he was gone, man. He was just effing gone. Mm-hmm. On August 6, 2004, James's caretaker found him dead in his apartment near Los Angeles. His publicist announced that he died of natural causes. The cause of his death was listed. <laughs> there, there were a lot of things listed, but the primary ones were that uh, he had pulmonary and cardiac failure. However, Rick James was found to have more than nine different drugs in his system at the time of his death, including methamphetamines, hydrocodone, and cocaine.
0: Wow. wow.
4: A public funeral drew about 6,000 fans. Among the friends at his service uh, was Jamie Foxx, by the way. Aww. There was a posthumous and fairly recent allegation from a woman that James raped her in the late 1970s. A documentary miniseries based on the life of James and one of his brothers was recently greenlighted, and there was a posthumous album release, which we'll hear something from in just a second. In 2013, James's song... Give it to me was featured on the soundtrack of the movie The Lords of Salem along with that of a lot of other artists like Rush, Velvet Underground, John 5, and Manfred Mann's Earth Band.
1: There
0: it is. Our federally mandated Manfred Mann Earth Band's reference of the podcast
4: has been satisfied. You thought you thought I forgot, didn't you?
0: I I did not. I forgot that we even did this.
4: <laughs> you forgot that like we did a podcast
0: (laughs) (laughs) wait this is a podcast what are we doing oh crap
4: rick james was buried fittingly in his hometown of buffalo new york Mm -hmm. his tombstone have y'all ever have you ever seen his
3: tombstone no no
4: it is jet black it features a picture of him holding a guitar and bears the inscription quote i've had it all i've done it all i've seen it all it's all about love god is love and then has james ambrose johnson jr 1948 to 2004 Mm -hmm. they could have saved some money on the inscription i think though and just put i'm rick james bitch (laughs) and i'm done okay now we have concluded our three-part episode on rick james Uh, just, just kind of looking back, what what stands out to you guys about the life of of this guy?
3: There are two things that that spring to mind, and one is the obvious Jim Morrison and him getting thrown out of Disneyland because they're high For on
4: because they were because they were both high on acid,
3: right? But but the one that sticks out in my mind, and I have a pretty good idea of just visualizing how it happened, is when he took the stage in where oh, it was Cleveland, and they threatened to arrest him, and he told Arkansas. him Alabama, Alabama, thank you to f off and then he gets on stage with a joint and he says you don't want me them to arrest me do you that that sticks out to me
4: that that was a big one that was in arkansas um arkansas, when okay. he when he yeah when he just when he defied authorities and lit up a big joint when they had yep. M, they had snipers with m16s on the roof and stuff which is just the bizarre when it's like i mean it's guys it's weed <laughs>
3: Like, yeah, like, I, come on. Yeah. I mean, I know
4: it was illegal, but you don't have to shoot him with an M16 for crying yeah. out loud.
3: That's a trifle excessive. I
0: will say for me, it's not even like a moment, but it's like, would his life have turned out the same if he was never a, a star? Mm. Would his life had been as slap nuts crazy if he had not been a celebrity? Because think about how he, he started his life. He had that you know, thing at nine years old and then signed up for the the army and then ran away from the army he lies like he lies he lies about his age to get into the military gets into the military then goes AWOL this is all before he even becomes a celebrity so what would his life have been like if he had never become that musical sensation Hmm. would it have been as crazy and we just wouldn't have heard about it because he was like a nobody
4: i would say that um if it was crazy it would be crazy in a different way because it takes a lot of money to be the kind of crazy that rick was <laughs> yes
0: <laughs> okay you are
4: spending a grand a day on cocaine like i mean you have to you have to have a lot of money to buy a grand of cocaine a day
0: at least thirty thousand dollars except for in february which would be 29 <laughs> yeah or 28 29 or 28 leap year.
4: depending on whether or not it's leap year yeah, yeah. <laughs> i bet he hated leap years
0: yeah oh, i needed that thousand dollars
4: yeah. Okay, so, uh, yeah, there's been a lot to it. Morrison and he getting kicked out of Disneyland for being too high is probably yeah. one of my favorites. He and Steven Tyler are getting caught with cocaine in rehab.
3: That's a good one. That is a good, <laughs> is a
4: good one. Is a really good one. And and then Poop Crack. Yeah, he smoked something that he pumped out of his own cinnamon ring. That is just...
0: <laughs> I'm sorry, what did you just call that?
4: Cinnamon ring, the brown dough ball.
0: Get, uh, I've just never heard it called that. And now the I'm brown,
4: the brown the brown blind eye.
0: I'm horrified. <laughs> I am I am disgusted. Tanner, the,
4: squash, the squash spider.
0: <laughs> the bleached balloon knot. <laughs> you got did you guys like talk beforehand?
4: <laughs> oh now that we've reached the end, I did come up with a proper discussion point for us to go out with. I want from everybody your top five all-time rick james songs now here's the caveat it can be rick james it can be one of his early bands like white cane or the minor birds it can be a song he wrote for somebody else standing on top by the temptations was written by rick james just as an example a duet that he did with somebody like tina marie something by the mary jane girls because he wrote and produced all their songs anything by the the band that everyone has forgotten exists process and the do rags because he, <laughs> he produced them eddie murphy's party all the time or anything that samples a rick james song mm. so top five now well i know you said you you did a, a lot of research kind of went back and listened to some older stuff for this one though what, what what have you got
3: well, I will say that in general, this, this what I'm about to say may contradict my picks, but I will say I gravitated towards his early catalog in the late 70s. Okay. Uh, and I liked that sort of funk, again, almost like George Clinton kind of style. So there were a lot of songs on those albums that I enjoyed, but that said, none of them stood out really enough to make my list. So, okay. uh, and this is in no particular order. I have, confession here, I have always liked In My House, by the Mary Jane girls okay I thought that was a great song I had no idea until this podcast that Rick James had produced the song so right I'm gonna and, put and that wrote in- and, and wrote and arranged too. Yeah, and wrote and arranged yeah Yep. I, I will say that another song that I was introduced to was it's my time with uh, the minor birds
4: okay yeah that's that, out to me and and it that if if I had played you that just sight i mean sight unseen not as part of the rick james podcast and said hey hey will check this out would you ever in a million years have guessed a that rick james was in that band and b that neil young was in it
3: based on what you purely on what you heard if it labor this way i would probably guess neither but if you told me either neil young or rick james i would have picked neil young but again it would be a stab in the dark um, right it sounds more like the stones honestly Right, and so so that one stood out to me. Uh, I I feel bad about it, but I if I don't put Super Freak on here, I don't think it's a list. Right, oh, sure. I, I got to. I mean, and then the the Resurgence with NC Hammer. Uh, I will say that I'm a sucker for Your Love is. That's a great song. That's a lot of fun. Love it. That's the one with Tina Marie and
4: with Tina Marie and you get to and Tina Marie. God, what a singer, man. Yeah, she's great. Oh God. And, a, and Levi Ruffin, I
3: mean it's levi ruffin
4: the the great levi ruffin our hero I, I,
3: i've got a capital i i think the rick james song that embodies rick james and everything about him I, I gotta give it to give it to me baby that's just yep that is the rick james song in my opinion okay all right so that is that is my list okay ld what you got
0: i only picked two
4: <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't the assignment but okay
0: <laughs> I'm sorry, I've been working all the jobs. Uh, you you texted me last night at 10 o'clock my time, and we're like, "Here's the assignment for tomorrow," and I'm like, "Oh crap!" So, uh, I picked love gravy, which is from Chef Aid.
4: Okay. Yep. That's uh, yes. He did. He did participate in Chef Aid with, along with Isaac Hayes. Correct. Yep.
0: All right. Yep. And then uh, Super Freak. Okay. Uh, i will say i did i do oh, like I in Radio. my house and i do like the stuff that he did with uh the white cane i right. I, I really like the stuff that we played in the earlier the, the okay. first episodes that stuff's really cool to me because like that's pure funk
1: mm, sure. and
0: all, like with almost like a foot in rock so i really dug that fusion of music but specifically i did not have time to do the assignment teacher i'm sorry i will i will take a c minus on these then
4: you fail i'm sorry two out of five is a 40
3: (laughs) (laughs) and then the the mary jane girls have another one i think it was all night or all night long all night
4: long they did that's another good one yeah so so my five I, i wanted to reach out a little bit and this is such i love this song it features a prominent sample of the one you just mentioned uh, well, the thrill that being the Mary Jane Girls all night long, which hey. was written, produced, and uh, it was written, produced, and arranged by Rick James. Uh, the, a prominent sample of that one is featured in the LL Cool J song "Around the Way Girl," which I've always just really liked. Ooh. So I'm going to go with uh, LL's uh, "Around the Way Girl" for number five. On uh, to do it again.
3: Uh,
4: number four, I'm actually going to agree with something LD said at the end there. I am going to go with "Find It" by White Cane. It was very sly stonish very chicagoish like it sounded you said when we played it LD, it was like you said it was like it sounded like this big collaborative group of people just like beating on shit
0: yeah <laughs> so and I but, loved, but I it was loved that. but it was
4: really it was really cool though it was a really cool song that i actually really really liked and i liked the monobird song that we heard as well will which you said you enjoyed
3: it's my time yeah i like them a lot i am
4: gonna say at number three probably mary jane girls in my house uh, it's an undeniable an undeniably great song now
3: and an earworm at that
4: yeah. right it is and now the synth the synthy part of it absolutely time stamps it as early <laughs> mid 80s like it's that that absolute prototypical cheese ball synthesizer that they played in like every r&b song in 1984 you've
0: got one but, foot in separate ways kid
4: <laughs> but but that but that but you're it it's just it's an absolute earwig it's undeniable an undeniably great song it's a well-written song mm-hmm. it's hooky as hell yeah. it's hard n- I, I don't know how you can't like it it's if you hear it uh, number two, like Just Like You, Super Freak. Um, we're doing one with Rick James. It doesn't feel like a list if that song isn't on it. There's a lot to like about the song. There's a, a combination of new wave because, because there's some synth, some synthy parts in it, but it's still got a foot in funk. And I actually kind of dig later in the song when Rick kind of turns into a maestro and breaks the third wall a little bit and, you know, screams, you know, Temptation, sing! oh And then says... And it took me a really long time to figure out what he's saying. The last thing he says is blow Danny. I blow thought he Danny? said blow daddy. He's talking to saxophone player, Daniel LaMille, Danny. Oh, wow. So I and it took, and I, I did too. I don't think I figured it out until I started doing the research for this, this series and realized that the his saxophone player's name was Daniel. So and I was like,
0: like eight oh, years. We've Danny. just been like, right so wrong. Been
4: completely wrong but i love that part of the song and then you know what i i, I didn't know, realize we were going to have this one in common will number one for me is give it to me yeah, yeah. the was- line. the line for that song is sick it is oh. fantastic <laughs> i love it and then those horns kick in it's everything that's great about rick james music there There's
3: it is yep full-on
4: yep. funk that the uh, an absolutely fantastic bass line. Great. That's a well-sung song. Catchy as hell. It's great. I love that song. It's my favorite Rick James song of all time. So that's um, I guess technically between the three of us our 12 favorite Rick James songs because someone <laughs> failed in their assignment. But I the other two. L- Do you
0: understand the pressure that
3: I'm under?
4: <laughs> I guess that LD can give our socials and then we will go away. <laughs> <laughs>
3: a merciful end I... merciful merciful we'll
4: makes the merciful end of this
0: all right well if you think that we're doing a good job and why the hell would you
4: why wouldn't you after this series of masterpieces
0: <laughs> well, i mean uh throw a coin to the witcher that's talking about butt crack <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, you can find that at patreon.com backslash rock and roll heaven you could find us on twitter at rock and roll lt Hang with us on Instagram at Rock and Roll Heaven LT. Our Facebook page is Rock and Roll Heaven Pod. I'm still not saying our website, and you can email us rock and rollheavenlt at gmail.com. And please check okay. out all the other awesome <laughs> Pantheon podcasts at pantheonpodcast.com. And from all of us here, to all of you out there, <laughs> I'm so sorry. You guys can turn the podcast off now. If you oh, don't. boy. You absolutely <laughs> need to. You <We> understand. <laughs> Thank you for making it all the way to the end. Yes. I don't know how you did it. I barely did. You
1: are. Oh, great, I don't do anything else.
0: <laughs> but thank you guys so much for checking the series out. Check us out next week where we start our new series on... That is going to be
3: Whitney Elizabeth Houston.
0: A Daughter of New Jersey. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, so we will be starting that. Will the Thrill will be taking the helm on those stories. And we really appreciate you guys hanging with us, uh, putting up with my brother's crap and my crap. And
4: and the crap that crap. Rick James smoked. Yeah. There, there it
0: is. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's close this out before we lose any more listeners.
4: <laughs> okay. So in, in 2007, the album Deeper Still was posthumously released. So let's hear the title track. We're going to sign off from rock and roll heaven and end our series on Rick James with a song called deeper still.
5: At Discount Tire, we know your time is valuable. Get 30% shorter average wait time when you buy and book online. Did
3: you know Discount Tire now sells wiper blades? Check out our current deals at DiscountTire.com or stop
5: in and talk to an associate today. Discount Tire.
1: Let's get you taken care of.
2: And now another no-brainer money-saving tip from Progressive. That doesn't sound good. The paper shredder's jammed, but I think I fixed it. Oh, well, try shredding these $50 bills then seems like it's working Mm, better try another 400 bucks instead of using money use regular paper and here's a better tip from progressive on how not to waste money don't pay too much for car insurance drivers who switch and save could save hundreds progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates potential savings will vary